Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome. I hope you're doing well. This is my daughter, Lennon. You want to say hi to everybody? She's like, no. I'm mad that I'm up here. Um, no, I'm really excited that you're here. I don't know if she's ex- – I hope you're more excited than Lennon is to be here. She uh, wants to be with Mommy right now. But we are here. Um, I'm, like Jack said, very, very thankful that you're with us, and uh, I'll probably hand her over at this point. So do you want to go see Mom for a sec? Super mom of the year right there. Give it up. <laughs> Two babies at once. It's amazing. Lindsay's an amazing woman. Uh, we kind of started this series a few, uh, really just a couple weeks ago. We talked about ways that were anchored, but I felt like when we began this series, I kind of needed to confess, confess something that I've struggled with in my life. And um, I felt like that was only fair to you, like to begin this journey and talk about Maybe something that I've kind of become addicted to over the last couple of years. And in the spirit of honesty and transparency, I'm somewhat still addicted and still struggling with my addiction to coffee. I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe you're, you're addiction-free uh, from this amazing uh, brew that the Lord sends uh, upon his people uh, but a few weeks ago, I confessed this, and really my struggle is espresso. Like, I don't drink the full-on coffee. I just love the taste of, like, an amazing, pure, beautiful, handcrafted shot of two ounces uh, of, of espresso. And I started to dig into this. So Lindsay pulled me aside, and she's like, okay, you're addicted. Uh, now, we can either – you can keep blowing, like, $50 a week at coffee shops, or we can save a little money as a family, and we can buy a espresso machine. I was like, all right, I'm in. Like, let's figure this out. So start to do some homework now. I didn't know you can buy as, as low-grade an espresso machine as you want. You can get a Mickey Mouse espresso machine right here, 20 bucks, uh, $19.99 to be exact. You can buy this, and I promise you it'll make some mixture of, of coffee beans and water. I don't know the quality, but I know it'll make it. Uh, it says so in the ad. But if you go to any of the fancy coffee shops, even here in Grand Rapids especially, you will find that most of them use a high-quality, industry-standard La Marzacco espresso maker. And now this is a picture of one that's for for household use, okay? This is not quite the level. Um, This is for household personal use. But I I just wonder, so the Mickey Mouse one is 20 bucks. Now let's contrast this. Uh, the La Marzacco is a little bit higher of a grade, higher standard. Any guesses how much this machine will cost you to have in your house? Just shout them out to me right now. Any guesses? 500? Anybody higher than that? 12,000? Oh, 2,000. Anybody higher than 2,000? 2,500. Okay. The La Marzacco personal espresso machine, this one in particular will cost you just around $6,000. 
Exactly. That's a lot of coffee, if you put it that way. Uh, it is incredible, like the quality and the handmade nature of these espresso machines. They go for thousands. I mean, industry standard ones are 10, 15, 20 grand. The stuff that maybe you drink espresso shots from, like I do. Like, way, way out there, astronomical numbers. So I started to do some digging and some homework, trying to figure out, okay, if there's such a humongous gap between what they're using and what a Mickey Mouse espresso maker makes, why is that? Like, they're all doing the same thing. They're filtering coffee and water together and creating a product. Like, they're all doing the same thing. Well, the more and more you dig into a La Marzacco espresso machine, you find out not only is it handcrafted in Italy, not only has it been worked on and, and, and perfected over decades of time, the main difference is pressure. The pressure created in this machine versus your Mickey Mouse espresso machine is, is dramatic. It's so different it's hard to explain. And, and, and coffee makers measure pressure through something called the BAR unit. Now, there's a sweet spot for a bar unit. And the La Marzacco, if you do it right, you, according to their, their guidelines, will make a perfect shot of espresso every single time with con radical consistency. Now, I began to think about that. I was like, pressure? I mean, it's got to be something more than that. But as you dig further and further, that's basically the thing that defines them. Now, I don't know every single person in this room or watching online perfectly, but here's what I do know. Every single one of us, no matter... Where you are in your faith, you walk into this morning, 10.51 a.m., with something in your life that is causing you pressure. Now, that could be a really good thing, like a new opportunity, maybe a new house, maybe a new relationship, maybe a new car, maybe a new uh, set of, of job conditions, maybe a new workplace, whatever it is. Maybe a new child has entered the picture. Like, all of us have pressure, and sometimes it's good. And others of us, the pressure we're facing right now, which the thing that is causing us stress, chaos in our minds, financial strain, whatever the, the thing may be, it's causing us pressure. And, and that thing's not good. Maybe there is a physical crisis you're in. There's a diagnosis you wish would just be wiped out of your life. Maybe there is a relationship, there's a marriage that is, has been hit with a storm, and you look at that storm and the damage it has caused and you realize this is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of healing. Maybe you're in a situation spiritually where you feel dry. You feel like you're in a desert. You feel like you're not hearing from God. You feel like you don't connect with him. And there's all sorts of spiritual, mental, emotional pressure you face. Like all of us have it. doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. You've got something in your life that is causing you pressure. And can I tell you the difference between someone who is anchored in Jesus and their identity and their, and their belief in the promises of God, like Jack talked about last Sunday, and someone who is not, is how they handle pressure. It's how they handle what they do with the storms in their life. What they do with the storms in their marriage, what they do with the storms in their singleness or in their family setting or in their workplace or at school, that is the difference maker. And I want to take you one of my favorite passages. This is in Matthew 26. This amazing scene where Jesus is just moments away from the cross. And he is facing what I would believe is the most pressure-filled moment you can ever imagine. Intense pressure knowing you are about to give your life in a horrific, torturous, dark way 
for the sake of other people. That's what Jesus is on the way to. So if you go to Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, this is what we read. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. I don't know about you, but when I have pressure in my life, those two emotions rise to the surface. Sorrowful is, why am I in this? And troubled is, is there's chaos. It's like being out in the middle of a storm or a rocky seas. It's like that causes you trouble. Jesus is feeling that emotion. Then he said to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Anybody else been there this year? Like overwhelmed. And he says, I've been overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he gives them an instruction. Stay here and keep watch with me. Stay here. Keep your eyes alert. Keep up. Like walk with me. Stay with me in this moment. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. I want you to catch the next thing he does. It says Jesus fell to the ground, and what does he do next? He prays. He prayed. Now let me give you the setting we're in, okay? So we're in the Mount of Olives. It's this region just outside of Jerusalem. This is what it would look like. This is what it looks like today. You do a quick flyover of of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and you see this mountain. It's kind of like an escape route for, for armies back in the day outside of the city walls, outside of the city gates. But nestled within this mount, which doesn't look very fruitful, there actually is a small garden. They call it Gethsemane. It's it's where olive trees would grow. It's beautiful, lush. There's flowers there. And even now it's been developed. There's prayer paths and all this kind of stuff because of the story that we're in. So put yourself in the story. Jesus is walking down one of these pathways, and he falls to the ground, feeling like, I've got so much pressure in my life, I might as well die. Those aren't my words. That, those are Jesus. Those are his words. And then he prays this, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and finds them sleeping. <laughs> this is the opposite of watch and pray, by the way. <laughs> this is like, what would you do in response when he says watch and pray? Well, I think the right call would be to watch and pray, and the, and the wrong thing would be to fall asleep, like take a nap in the darkest hour of your rabbi's life, but that is not what you find the disciples doing. Like they are, they are asleep at the wheel. They've lost focus. And so he calls them out. He says, couldn't you men keep watching me for one hour? Like couldn't you stay awake? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. Like if the pressure is just going to be here and I've got to absorb it, like do what you will. Your will be done. Now you think, okay, I'm a disciple. Jesus has called me out once. Should be good, right? I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to get a monster. I'm going to get a coffee. Like I'm going to make sure that I'm holding my eyelids open because if he comes back and finds me sleeping again, it may be worse than just like a rabbi calling me out. Well, he comes back the next time, and what are these disciples doing? What are they doing? Sleeping. It's like, no. Like, I can't get my toddler to sleep. She needs to read this, okay? She should read this, but it's the opposite of what they were instructed to do. They 
are, are asleep. And it says their eyes are heavy, like they're going through stuff too. They've got pressure. They're exhausted physically. So Jesus leaves them and goes away for a third time and says he prayed the same thing. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of giving over the pressure to his heavenly father. Like what did Jesus believe about prayer? Jesus believed prayer was an anchor for his soul. Jesus believed that prayer was not a luxury item on a list of things you do if you're a Christian. He believed that prayer was the way to keep his soul tethered, anchored, rooted even, in his heavenly Father and in his will. Now, it would be easy to read this, especially if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, and believe, oh, that's nice. Like, Jesus came up with, like, a really good thing to do when you're stressed. We should do this. But that's not true. If you read the Gospels, it's almost impossible to read the New Testament and miss the fact that Jesus had a regular rhythm of withdrawing, of anchoring his soul to the Father in prayer. The very beginning of the Gospel, Mark 1, says in, chapter, in verse 35, Jesus went away often to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus withdrew to a solitary or a wild wilderness place and he prays. Like this is something Jesus did all the time. When pressure was high, when pressure was low, like he, he, that was his response. This is what he believed prayer was. And this is true for us. What we believe about prayer determines how we pray. What, what you believe about prayer determines how you pray. What your family believes about prayer determines how your family prays. What our church believes about prayer determines how we pray. What we believe about prayer determines... How we pray, can I just share what I think keeps us from real, honest, powerful, effective prayer is often just how we perceive prayer, what we believe about it, what we think it is, what we think it isn't. I think many times, especially if you grew up in this area, you grew up around churches all over the place, what we think, what actually does, I believe, keep us from prayer is what we think good prayer is or what mature prayer is. Or what a, a prayer should look like or shouldn't look like. And yet we miss the point of what the scriptures teach. We miss the point of what prayer could be in our lives. It could be an anchor. It could be, even when the moments of pressure are the highest, when everything feels like it's crashing in, that we feel sorrowful and troubled and chaotic, that we have a place to go. We have a pressure release valve in, in the Father and in prayer. And again, this applies if you are a middle school student or you are looking towards retirement. It doesn't matter if you followed the Lord for a couple of days or you followed him for decades. This invitation is on the table for all of us to redefine and make prayer an anchor for the soul. And Jesus says this. He literally gives him an instruction in this moment of pressure. He says, watch, and then he says, pray. Watch and pray. Watch. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. Look around you. Know the times that you're in. But he also says to pray. And then he gives him a why. Why should you watch and pray? And he literally says, because you are prone to temptation. Your spirit is willing. Like you want this inside, but your flesh is weak. Your external stuff is weak. And here's how I read that as an American Christian. I read this passage and say, okay, here's the deal. I need to strengthen my outside. Like, I need to build a better family. 
I need to get a better community. I need to make sure that the right people are in the right offices. I need to do all this stuff that is really, at the end of the day, somewhat external to me. I can't control it all. Like, i got to get my flesh stronger so I can withstand the storms of life. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I think Jesus is making the opposite point in Matthew 26. I think what he says is true. Our spirits are willing but our flesh is weak. Therefore, you read this all over the New Testament, I believe Jesus in prayer wants to strengthen you on the inside so you can withstand any storm that faces your life on the outside. It's not about you getting stronger. It's about you getting more prayerful. It's about you getting more surrendered. What we don't need is more strong in our life. What we often need is more weak, more surrendered, more open to the Spirit. That's what he's after. It's a strength on the inside, actually him being your strength, so that you can withstand the storms that rage outside. And if you believe prayer is an anchor for the soul, an anchor for your identity, a a way to actually in real time encounter the promises of God, then you will treat it like that. It, It will go from something that happens to some select group of people on some occasions, to an anchor that you go to every single day, minute, second. That's the invitation on the table for us today. My father-in-law was in town a couple weekends ago, and they flew in, he and his girlfriend, to visit us, which was so so fun. And one of the things he said, he's like, I really want to go to Traverse City. He loves the water, loves to to fish. He's like, I want to go to Traverse City, and just like, Check it out. I've heard it's a beautiful place. I was like, you should. And he's like, and I want to take Lennon, and Lindsay's going to go with us. So, like, you just are at home with Eden. I was like, deal. You want to take her? Go for it. Like, you have not experienced yet a, a long drive with a two-year-old, clearly, or else you would have not in, invited her along. But I said, that sounds good. So they're leaving probably 30 minutes out. And I was like, okay. Lindsay said, I said, what do you need? She's like, could you just make sure I got everything for, for Lennon, but can you make sure that you move her car seat from your car into into my dad's car. I was like, yeah, no problem. So I take it out. I've done this a thousand times before. I take it out, and I set it down in the back of his rental car, and I'm like, I don't see any anchors for this car seat. Like, that feels like a pretty important thing. Maybe in, in CRVs these days, they just don't put anchors in the car seat. And so I'm looking for these things. I cannot find them anywhere. I'm reaching around the seat, under the seat, beside the seat. And finally, I find, like, one on the one side. So I clip in the anchor to her car seat, and I can't find the bottom one. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of rig this. So I kind of, like, wrap it around something underneath, probably some electrical piece. I shouldn't have done that. And then I, did, I was like, I cannot find the other one. Like, this is this is messing with me. I cannot find where it is. And so finally, like, they're about to leave. And Lindsay goes, hey, did you get the car seat? And I was like, yeah, sort of. I got it. It's in there. For sure. It's in, it's in the car. And so we put Lennon in the car seat, and she's sloshing around. Like, she's clearly not anchored into the actual anchors of the car in this new car. And so Lindsay, because she's, again, smart, she's super mom, she, like, figures it out. And she's like, okay, this is, what, this is where it was. Like, it's easy to miss. So she clips her in, and she's fine. Now, here's what I know. I've done this a lot with car seats. Maybe you're not in that phase anymore. Praise God for you. I'm in it all the time. What I found about car seat anchors is that it does not matter if you have the La Marzacco of car seats. 
If that thing is not anchored, little Lennon is flying to Traverse City, not driving. Like, she is like projectile. I mean, if the kid is not in there, all sorts of terrible things can happen. And that is in so many ways. Like, if you're, like, I read in, I read into prayer all the time. That if, if my life is not anchored, I'm just not going to be prepared. Like, I was trying to prepare for the trip. But in so many ways, prayer is so much more than that. Like, I just thought, okay, i got to anchor this car seat in to prep Lennon for the trip, prep the car, make sure they get on the right path. And I think a lot of times, maybe you're not like this, but, but I'm definitely like this, where my misconceptions to prayer often arise because I just think prayer is for direction in my life. Or it's just to prepare me. Basically, it's, I'm praying, Lord, so you set me up. You make me look good. You make this sermon go. You make this Sunday awesome. You make this meeting and conversation go well. You fix all these things in my life that I wish were fixed. But can I tell you, when you hit a real storm, and some of you are in one, or you just came out of one, or one's coming for you, those, those prayers are not enough. They don't cut it when you're just praying for answers and direction and, and quick fixes to, to problems that you have. And I faced this, basically this whole year has felt like that for us. And I've been trying to be really transparent and vulnerable with you. It's a, it's a value that we have as a church. But man, it has stretched me in that because it feels like on an almost weekly basis, something with one of our girls is bringing that pressure to the surface. I mean, this summer we we journeyed through what I never pictured as a parent I would have to go through. And our small six-month-old daughter, Eden, had open-heart surgery. And in that time, I remember there's a couple moments. So one of the key moments, and I've shared this with you before, but one of the key moments as I reflect is it was like 3 in the morning. Eden is in the hospital. It had been like 10 days. We thought we were going to get out in 5. And there was just all of these unmet expectations from God. Just over and over, it was like, okay, we prayed for healing. We're doing the surgery. We, we thought we'd be out in five. It's now ten. All of these circumstances. And I, I was taking the night shift. So I'm sleeping in the room with Eden at this point. And she's still hooked up to so many things. It's like difficult to even get her out of her own bed without a nurse coming in. And she just, I'm, I'm like laying down and she is screaming, just rage, pain. I know there's nothing like seriously wrong because I'm looking at all the machines and they all look like what they're supposed to look like. But she is clearly uncomfortable and cannot sleep. And I remember I was like, you know, the right thing would be to like quote a psalm over her or something. But I don't have that in me. And I just walked over to her, put my head on her head, and I just prayed, God, I cannot do this. This is unfair. You should have picked someone a lot stronger than me. You should have picked a different family for this. Like, God, I cannot do this. And can I tell you, in that season, now months removed from that, that prayer, God has taken me to the school of prayer again. He has taught me this kind of unique way of praying. And some of you may be familiar with this old word, some of you may not, but I've been learning about travailing in prayer. And travailing, writer Betty Miller puts it this way, is the Holy Spirit crying out through you. That's what it is, the Holy Spirit crying out through you your life. And I immediately was struck as I read this text, read this scripture and prepared for the sermon. 
Uh, I grew up in, in an old school church, and one of the things we used to sing, and I just have forgotten it, was, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear when we fail to carry everything. We fail to take everything, bring everything to the Lord in prayer. And I was thinking about, man, think about all the situations in my life where I've had no peace and I could have had peace. Where I carried pain and, and trauma and brokenness where I didn't have to carry it. Why? Because I simply didn't believe that that's what, that prayer couldn't fit all that. That I couldn't really bring that stuff in travail to the Lord. One of the most famous passages for this is Romans 8.26. Paul writes to a church just like us in Rome, and he says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Praise God that it's not on us. Praise God it's not on you, not on me. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's travail. That's real prayer. That's bringing to God what you don't even know. That's, those are the God I can't do this prayers. And I want to pick on us for a minute. I think prayer really is this. It is a school of declared dependence. That, that's what we learn in prayer. We learn how to declare our total, full-fledged allegiance and dependence on God. And we're going to have a time to do that as a church here in just a few minutes. But what I have learned, and I, I'm going to pick on us guys for a minute. So I have been a man for 32 years, and I'm excited to share out of my own life experience to us guys. Here's what I found out. I think for men, we actually believe God is, is too soft to handle our prayers. Like we are way more honest and raw with our spouse or friend at work or someone at the bar or someone uh, that we're hanging out with around a campfire than we ever are with God because we just think he's too soft. He can't handle it. We're going to hurt his feelings or we're going to lose our Christian card if we pray too honestly and too vulnerably to him. And so we don't. We withhold real emotion. We withhold real words. And we pray things that we don't even know what they mean. We just pray made-up stuff. Can I free you for a moment if you're a guy? Uh, if you read the Psalms, there are things that would be awkward to pray in, in a center church prayer room or prayer meeting. Like there are things David prays that you're like, whoa. I would definitely not say that. Like, it is way farther than you would probably go. It doesn't matter how long you followed, followed God for. If you read the Psalms, there are things that's like uncomfortable for me to want to pray. And he prays these. And, and we need, as men, to raise the level of our prayers. We need to raise the level of, of emotion and reality and honesty before God. Because if we don't, we will never experience what prayer truly could be. Because what we believe about prayer determines how we pray. I remember, like, specifically, uh, Center Church for a long time was a set-up and tear-down experience. Every Sunday morning, some of you remember those grueling days, right? You just get up super early, drive through the snow, unpack things out of a closet, set it all up and tear it all down and do it again for, like, way, way, way too long. Well over a decade we did this. And one of the guys who really led the charge that for a lot of years was named Pete. He became a good friend. Some of you remember Pete. And Pete walked in. It was like 5.30 in the morning. I had just gotten to the school, unlocked the doors, checked if the heat was on, which normally it never was, and inside joke had been around. But he walks in, and he's in shorts and a T-shirt, and he is angry, angry. And I can literally see his whole body is like red 
and he's got smoke coming out of his ears. I mean, this guy is ticked off. I'd never seen him so mad in my life. And he walks in, and I was like immediately kind of taken aback, like, okay, this is going to be unique. Uh, he walks up, and he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And I said, Pete, is the him coming to the setup team? Because if so, I should know. <laughs> you could give me a heads up if there's going to be a death in the school. Like, I need to know this. He walks up, and I was like, whoa, 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 chill, chill, chill. What is going on? And he kind of just unloads on me the situation. His daughter at work got taken advantage of financially. She got slighted by her manager, all these different things. He's like, I'm going to go there today after church. Once they open, I'm going to squeeze that guy. I'm going to kill him. And I was like, wow, that sounds like quite a Sunday. I, don't, I can't relate. Like, and he just goes off 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 on me about this guy he's like what he's gonna do to him and all this how unfair it was to her and all this stuff and just was like whoa now thankfully there was no no one was killed that day uh later that day pete did calm down like uh maybe being in church helped him a little bit but like a few weeks later pete and i were having lunch and i was i think we were teaching about prayer we're in a series about prayer at that time i just said man can i tell you something that level of honesty and emotion i think god wants that from you I think that's what prayer actually is. Yes, it is praying scripture. Yes, it is interceding. It's so much more than than how we make it, but it is also honesty, and it's also travail. It's also transparency. It's also talking to God, not like he's a fake cosmic person, but he's a real person with real emotions, and he can handle yours. Like that That's what we need from from us as men now i'm not a woman i've been married to one for about a decade and here's what i've learned for women often one of the tendencies you have it's natural friends to pray for comfort to pray for mercy to pray for healing and let me just tell you if you don't know this already we have some incredible women of prayer in this church leaders in our community i'm so grateful for that but but sometimes there's a tendency to pray around those things and not to contend, not to pray in boldness and in authority and in confidence that you too have access to the Lord. You too have his authority resting in your life. You too are a, a son and daughter of God. Like you have that identity too, and you can call on God to do what he says he wants to do. Can I just say we need a group of men and women to tap into that type of prayer? That's the kind of prayer that shakes communities and shakes nations and shakes families. And often we are just so focused on what God does on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we miss what he wants to do in our lives when prayer becomes an anchor. Because what we believe about prayer is how we will pray. I, I love what Pastor Jim Cimbala says about this. He writes that you can tell the popularity of the pastor by who shows up on Sunday morning and the popularity of God by who shows up to prayer. Now, I think that's a little bit of hyperbole, okay? I do believe you're not just here for me, because that is not a good reason to come to church. So I believe that we're here for the right reasons. But I also believe the second part of what he says. I do believe there's something about prayer that purifies motives, that strips away all the performance, all the show, and allows us to truly anchor our souls to God in the midst 
of storms because storms will come. How you handle them makes all the difference. And here's what I believe. I don't think God longs for churches with like a prayer team or a prayer ministry or a one-off prayer event. Those things are not bad. But I believe God wants to raise up in our church, in churches that we are connected to, praying churches, praying families, praying marriages, praying single people, praying college students, praying middle school students, praying people who are kind of at the end of their work career and feel like I've got nothing left, but man, I can pray. I can invest myself in prayer. A a community, a church that becomes a praying church that when the pressure goes up at Center Church, we bow low. We submit. We seek the Lord while he may be found. We humble ourselves. Can I just share with you? I really believe as I sat with this for weeks, like there's an opportunity for our church. There's something out there. there. There's an opportunity for Center Church to till up the ground of spiritual apathy and boredom and religion and spiritual performance if we choose to become a praying church. If. Now, like it or not, there are so many conditional statements in the Bible, it would freak you out. There are so many times where God says, if my people do this, then I will do this. And some of those are attached exactly where we're talking. If my people humble themselves and pray, then I will come. I will heal their land. If my people rend their hearts just like their garments, if they open themselves up and humble themselves before the Lord, then I will step in, then I'll move, then I'll unleash dreams, then I'll unleash vision on their community. There's so many times it's like that. Now, that freaks me out a little bit because that means I have a role to play in all of this. But that is the invitation of prayer because what we believe about prayer determines how we pray. This is one of the reasons we've committed as a church over this last year to building a house of prayer, a culture of prayer, not just a one event, not just having a team. All those things are good. We'll do those. But having a regular rhythm for us as a church in which we are praying, seeking after the presence of the Lord. And we're committed even this fall to keep mixing it up, to keep trying some stuff, to be fresh, to, to, to learn, to fail at some stuff because it matters so much. And one of those things is we're moving for the next couple weeks at least and trying it out. We're moving prayer from Wednesday night to Saturday morning because of schedules. There's just a lot of reasons that we think it may actually be a more conducive day and time for us. But prayer, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., yes, we're willing to bribe you with donuts. It is 100% worth it to get you here. It matters that much. But but we we just believe that what we believe about Prayer as a church determines how we will pray. And if we think prayer is only for a select time or select season, we will miss out on the invitation of the Lord. And we believe that God has called us to be a place of prayer, a people after his presence. And so I'd encourage you, man, figure out a way to get here, 10 to 11, on this coming Saturday. We will not meet this Wednesday night. We will meet this coming Saturday morning and and go after his presence with, with one another. And this is the last thing I'll say before I invite us into a time of prayer and response. I love you. I think our church is an amazing place, but I can't force you into a deeper prayer life. We have an amazing team of leaders, prayer team, staff, great people. They can't force you into a deeper prayer life. Even God cannot force you into having a deeper prayer life that becomes an anchor for your soul every single day. You have to want it. You have to want it. And if you seek it, 
If you ask for it, if you go after it, if you pursue it, if you change around your schedule to be there Saturday and you do things that don't make any sense, all these other things, God will answer. He will respond and he will gift you the invitation to, to, to make prayer that anchor for your soul. I'm experiencing it right now in real time. I want you to experience that in real time. And so what storms are out there? What's raging in your life? What's raging in our community? What's happening in our schools? What's happening in our nation? What's happening in your neighborhood? What's happening in your home? That you just say, this is a storm, and I need God to speak and bring peace or resolution or an answer or just simply to know that I can seek him and find him in prayer. Like, what, what is the thing you need to bring to him? Where does the pressure feel like it's just rising, rising, rising? And you need to just take that to him in prayer. Stop trying to micromanage it and just give it to him. Because I've got mine. Like, there's medications I'm giving my daughter. I don't, I'm sick of giving her. There's surgeries we're talking about in the looming future. I just want healing. Like, there's, all, there's stuff in my life. Like, that, that journey with Eden is not done. It is ongoing. And every single day, I've got a chance. Am I going to take that control back from the Lord? Or will I release it to him in prayer? Friends, I'm just going to tell you today, I'm going to be the first one on my knees inviting him to remind me of my need, my dependence, for him to be my refuge and my strength. And maybe you need to do that. I'm going to encourage you. We're going to pray here in a minute, but this space is yours. Just for the next couple songs, like if you need to come up and kneel and use this front as an altar, please do that. I'm going to do that. If you need to stand and just extend your hands and surrender and worship, do that. If you want to turn around, pray right where you're, you're sitting. Use your chairs and altar. Do that. But just like Jack said earlier, God is looking for people who will respond to his presence. And we want to be those kind of people in prayer. So would you join me? Let's pray. And go before him. God, we just say thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that while we are far off, you brought us near by the blood of Christ. Thank you that we have confidence and authority that comes not from what we've done, but what you have done. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that does intercede for us, that helps us out in prayer. And I thank you that the invitation for us as a church and as individuals, as families, marriages, single people today, is to bring you where we feel pressure. And in response to us bringing that to you, you offer to give us yourself. Not quick fixes, easy answers, and perfect solutions, but your tangible presence in our lives. And that's what we truly desire and need the most. God, take us to the school of dependence today. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.